I'll invite you to take your Bible and open to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. There are a few verses in the Bible that I feel like I have known by memory for my entire life. And 2 Timothy 2.15 is one of those verses. I grew up going to a Bible memory program at our church called Awana. Some of you know Awana. I think I started when I was two or three. This only helps Cheryl, but I remember Kelly Kitts welcoming me into my class when I was, like I said, two or three years old. For Awana, 2 Timothy 2.15 is the key verse, and so we memorized it and recited it every week, and we did it in the King James, which says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15, and like I said, it's a verse that I have known by memory for most of my life, and yet this week I was struck in a whole new way by the weight of this verse and by the standard that it sets for, for me in particular as a teacher of God's word. I was reminded this week that maybe as much as any other verse, thank you, that 2 Timothy 2.15 describes what my aim as a pastor should be week in and week out. It's a verse about working hard to understand and share the word of God correctly. And this entire passage is a passage about the importance of of knowing the truth and guarding the truth. If you've been with us for our time in 2 Timothy, then the theme of this passage should not surprise you. It's a letter written from Paul near the end of his life to Timothy, his faithful protege. And throughout the letter, he's giving Timothy encouragement and instructions for how to be faithful. And in this section in particular, faithful looks like knowing the truth and protecting the truth. And I think by implication, sharing the truth with others. It's a letter written to a pastor from a pastor. And yet, hopefully you recognize that the responsibility of knowing the truth, guarding the truth, and sharing the truth is a responsibility that all of us share together. The reality is that if we are going to be the church that God has called us to be, we have to be a people who are committed to knowing what God has said. And we have to be committed to passing what God has said on to others. With that in mind, I think this is a really important passage for us. My hope this morning is that you would be convinced of this. That God's word is true. And that we have a responsibility to know it well. And that it is our responsibility to know it, guard it, and share it. So, recognize this. The aim is not knowledge. But the aim is that we would hear from God and that as we hear from him, it would change us. And what we also see in this passage is that there's a lot at stake. Because if we don't know the truth and yet claim to speak for God, others will be misled. So this is an important responsibility. With that in mind, our text is 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to go from verses 14 to 19. 
Hear the word of God. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among whom are her Hymenius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. It's the word of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So I'll let you know, I was wondering quite a bit this week about whether it would be best for us to spend our time in 2 Timothy. It's a big day. Maybe one of the bigger days we've had in the life of our church. And so I wondered if we should spend our time in a passage of Scripture that would be more suited to preparing our hearts for whatever news we might receive today. In the end, I decided I may not get through that sermon And yet, it would be good for me and good for us to just stay the course in 2 Timothy. And the more I spent time in this passage, the more confident I became that this is a good place for us to be. Here's why. Sometimes change can distract us. When things change, we could be tempted to lose focus. Yet this passage of Scripture is reminding us of a foundational thing. We are called to be people who know the truth and and steward the truth. And so regardless of what happens beyond today, this is something we don't want to neglect. And so maybe kind of a back to the basics type day. Let's be people of the truth. Let's value what is true. Let's know what God has said and let's steward well what he has told us. Paul is calling on Timothy to not neglect the truth. And as we come to the text In verse 14, we get kind of an introduction to the entire section. On your notes, I called it a preface, because in verse 14, we kind of get an introduction to the two primary themes that we'll see throughout the rest of the text. On your notes, I said that the first command seems to be more of a a positive command, whereas the second one's more of a negative command, and hopefully that'll make sense as we get into them. The first thing is this, and this is the first of the two primary themes we see in the text. He says in verse 14, remind them of these things. Now, right here we have to recognize that we're jumping right into the middle of a letter. And he says, remind them of these things. I I believe he's talking about the things that he talked about in verses 8 through 13. In those verses, he was calling on Timothy to remember the centrality of Jesus. You see in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David? Remember Jesus. Remember that he rose. And this is central. Paul's telling Timothy, don't forget Christ. Don't forget what he has done. And then a few verses later, he reminds Timothy of some key gospel truths. 
He reminds them that there's hope for those who trust in Christ and that there is hopelessness for those who deny him. Verse 11, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So, for those who believe in Jesus, there is life. For those who deny him or do not have faith, there is judgment. And these are core gospel truths. And now Paul says to Timothy, remind them of these things. So I believe he's telling Timothy, and by extension telling us, remind them of Jesus, his resurrection, that all who believe in him will be saved, and all who deny him will face judgment. Remind them of the gospel. As I think about our time together on Sundays, I think this is one of the primary reasons that we come together. I hope that you have a category for this. I try to emphasize it, that I am coming to church on Sunday morning to be reminded of the gospel. We need this reminder every week, church, that God forgives sinners. Through faith, our sins can be forgiven. Because of Jesus, we don't have to continue living in sin. The gospel sets us free to live God's way, to live in obedience to him. And that's a reminder that I hope you recognize that you need every day and at least every Sunday. It's important to recognize we are not only saved by the gospel, but that God uses the truth of the gospel to keep changing us. So the gospel is something that we need to be reminded of day after day, week after week, year after year. We need to keep hearing it. Do you know what that means? Some people talk of preaching the gospel to yourself every day. And maybe, and I was here for a long time, I think, well, I'm a Christian. The gospel is not for me. The gospel is for those who need to be saved. And yet what the scriptures teach us is that the gospel is something that we need. And that our continual reflection on the gospel is what God uses to change us. Let me just give you some examples. As we think about the perfect life of Christ, it's an aspect of the gospel, it should give us a continual assurance that we are not saved based on what we do, right? So we look to the righteousness of Christ and recognize it's through him that we're saved. What about the death of Christ? As we think about the death of Christ, one thing it should do for us is it should increase our hatred for our sin, to think that Christ had to die to forgive my sin? Do you see how reflecting on that should encourage us to fight temptation, to put off sin? What about his resurrection? The fact that he has been raised and we too will be raised. Man, that should give us hope. It should give us endurance to wake up in the morning and just to think, here is another day, can be a lot. But to wake up in the morning and to recognize Christ has been raised, I have been raised in him, and one day I will be raised forever. The gospel gives us hope for each day. 
one more aspect of the gospel of many, and maybe you would take time this morning to think about different aspects of the gospel and how reminding yourself of those things could encourage you. Think about the fact that Christ is in heaven as our mediator, which should give us confidence to cry out to God, knowing that through Christ, he hears our prayers. Here's the point. We never outgrow our need to hear the gospel. We need to be reminded of it over and over and over. And that's the first thing that Paul tells Timothy. Remind them about the truth. Remind them of the truth. And of the two themes that we're going to see throughout the passage, this is one of them. Know the truth. Steward the truth. Remind them of the truth. And then the second is this. Avoid false teaching. Avoid getting caught up in things that would distract you from the truth. So two sides of one coin, right? Know the truth and avoid things that would distract you from the truth. Look at the second part of verse 14. He says, charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. So this is that negative aspect It's a warning against getting involved in arguments that aren't profitable for knowing and growing in the truth. Now, I have heard this quoted, you know, in a dorm room, a bunch of Bible college students debating theology, and someone who's frustrated with the situation says, we're not supposed to quarrel over words. And yet, just read the New Testament. We see that Paul is not afraid to stand up to false teaching. He's not shy about theological conversation. He certainly is willing to call out error when he sees it. So I don't think we can read this verse or the verses later in the passage to say that we should avoid all kinds of theological discussion or even debate, or that we should never get involved in conversations on the finer point of disagreement. When it comes to false teaching, there are definitely times when we must defend the truth. So I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. He uses a word here. In our text, when it says quarrel about words, it's a compound word in the Greek, literally translated word wars. Don't participate in word wars. What we're going to see later in the passage is that there were people who were significantly distorting the message of the gospel. And the text also implies that they were not open to honest conversation. It was a word, war, and it was unprofitable. It was not going to find resolution. And so this is the call. Don't participate in things that are unprofitable for the sake of the truth. Does that make sense? I think we, we know it when we see it, right? This is not profitable for the sake of the truth. And we see here that it's a serious matter. Paul says, Charge them before God not to participate in war words. I think that heightens the the warning, doesn't it? Warn them before the face of God not to do this. So we have this two-part theme. One, know the truth and steward the truth. And two, avoid things that would distract or not promote the truth. In the next few verses, Paul goes back and forth between these two things. And in 15, we have the positive angle. And I think it's the central verse of the the passage. 
It's the verse I started with this morning. It's the Awana verse. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I think we could spend the rest of our morning just fleshing out each part of this verse. Paul's calling on Timothy to work hard before God, to know the truth, and to handle it rightly. Starts, do your best. Be diligent. Make every effort. Work hard. Work hard to present yourself to God as one approved. That slowed me down this week to think about that part of that verse. When it comes to knowing the scriptures and understanding what God has said, he says here, don't do it for the approval of man. Don't say what you think others want to hear. Work hard before the face of God for his approval. In the context, he's talking about how Timothy handles the word of God. So Paul's saying, present yourself to God. Work hard to be approved by God, which is to say you are accountable to God for the way you handle his word. Side note, you're accountable to God for how you respond to his word. But what he wants us to see here is that this isn't our message. It's his message. And so we should work hard to make sure that we are speaking for him. That we're teaching and preaching his words and not our own thoughts or our own ideas. Again, this slowed me down. It's a reminder of the responsibility we've been given. We have been entrusted with, and we say this phrase a lot, but here it's weight. We have been entrusted with the word of God. The gospel of salvation. And we should work hard to ensure that what we say is what God has said. God forbid we ever speak, claim to speak for him and say what we want to say. We should work hard, he says, to be approved by God. Approved, it's a word for um, refining metal till it's as it should be. Work hard to be approved by God, rightly handling the word of truth. And here we get several different translations. If you look at a parallel Bible, you're going to see that everyone kind of does some different things with this final phrase, all with the same meaning, but trying to get at the fact that in the original, we have a, a, a compound word, half of which means cutting, and the second half, which means straight. So a literal translation could be, we need to cut straight the word of truth. And most translators try to interpret that for us. So our translation says, rightly handling, which I think is a good help. What it means to cut straight the word of God, handle it rightly. It's a word that we see in some context for if someone's going to cut a road through a, a wooded area, we're going to cut straight through the woods. Think about Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. You, another passage you probably know. Another passage that's a good reminder for me today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. That straight your paths, it's the same word that we have in 2 Timothy. This cutting a straight path. When we approach the word of God, we should cut a straight path. We should handle it rightly. I think we all know you can jump in and you can grab things out of the scriptures and you can say whatever you want and convince people it's biblical. God forbid. Work hard before God to cut it straight, to handle it rightly. When we think about the gospel, we should never be sloppy or careless. We should be careful to understand it and to talk about it the way God intends. So Paul tells Timothy, give yourself to this. Give yourself to knowing and understanding the word of truth. Do it for the approval of God. And if you do that, you can be unashamed. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. The idea of shame or being ashamed has come up several times already in 2 Timothy. Paul has told Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. And now, as you teach the gospel, do it in a way that won't bring you shame. We can be unashamed when we know that we have presented not our words, but God's words. Not our ideas, but his truth. I said earlier that one of my main objectives as a pastor is to know the truth and to share the truth. And certainly I would want my testimony to be that I have done my best to present myself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. It feels significant for me as someone who stands up a lot and talks about God's word. And yet, all of us share in this. Friend, if you're leading your home, you have a responsibility to to share God's word with your family. Use it rightly, right? We should long to understand the gospel. Not so we can win theological debates, but because we recognize what's at stake. What's at stake in understanding God's word is our salvation and the salvation of others. There are eternal consequences to rightly handling the word of truth. So we must be good stewards. On the one hand, we do that by giving ourselves to knowing and guarding the truth. On the other hand, we do that by avoiding things that would distract us or move us away from the truth. And that's what we see in verse 16, that other side of the coin He says, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. It can be proven historically that in every generation of the church, there have been those who have taught things that are not true. Understatement, probably. It happened in the first century, and Paul speaks to different ways throughout his letters that the truth has been distorted or misused or mistaught. There have been and always have been those who handle the word of God in a way that twists it or distorts it.
And yet, I, I do want to balance this. When it says avoid irreverent babble, he's not saying avoid those who are ignorant. He's not telling us not to try to correct those who are, who are off. Lots of scriptures tell us to help bring along those who need to be taught and instructed and, and, and brought along. And yet there's this category here. Those who love word wars, those who are participating in what he calls irreverent babble, which I believe is a mocking of the truth. It's not just a disagreement with the truth or a misunderstanding of the truth, but it is a, a mockery of the truth. And he's, he's telling us to avoid those who mock the truth and distract others by their mockery. And this is something that must be significant because Paul comes back to it over and over and over again. I'll just give you a, a quick survey. You could flip back if you wanted to. First Timothy chapter 1. So this is verse 3. First letter Paul writes to Timothy that we have. Verse number 3, right out of the gate. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than a stewardship from God that is by faith. I think that last part tells us something about what's going on. Instead of being stewards of the truth and honestly trying to handle the truth, they're promoting speculations that would lead people astray. 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, Have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. There are these people who are mocking the truth with irreverent and trivial discussions. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Towards the end of the letter. He started the letter this way, and now he's about to end the letter, and he says, Oh, Timothy... Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble, same phrase here, and the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. So again, we see that same phrase. There are those who are participating in this irreverent babble, which in the context of these two letters, I believe are people who have distorted the truth and are making a mockery of what is true. It's obviously a big deal to Paul. He said it over and over and over to Timothy. Um, I didn't quote the ones that we'll see later in the second letter to Timothy that's coming. We can go to Titus. He says in Titus, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. Speaking of the gospel that he's just outlined in a beautiful way in the first part of Titus chapter 3, we're told that we're not saved by works, but by his righteousness. And then he says, I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. What we see there is that knowledge leads to obedience. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and he is self-condemned. Paul's not condemning theological conversations. 
And he's not trying to silence good and honest conversations. And he's not telling you to not come next week whenever Stephen walks through a genealogy in Genesis. That's not the point. The point is avoid those who make a mockery of the truth. Avoid them. And what we see is that what they're doing has disastrous results. We, we see two of them there. First, he says that it will lead to more and more ungodliness. The implication being they're already ungodly, and the more they rehearse this um, irreverent babble, the, the more and more ungodliness will ensue. Think about it. As Christians, our aim is to help people know God and to move towards him. And yet, what's happening is that this message that's being taught, this false gospel is moving people away from God. It's leading them to further and further ungodliness. So while we're supposed to steward the truth that brings people to God, we're to avoid those things that distort the truth and would pull people away from him. And then the second implication or the result would be that it spreads like a disease. It's contagious. It's something that will pass from one person to another, spread through the church like a disease, and you may have seen this yourself, how air can catch like fire, how a distortion could get introduced, and it can spread from person to person, and before long, it spread to lots of people. There have been times in the history of the church when heresy has spread like a disease, and it's taken huge movements like the Reformation, right, to, to bring it back. It's dangerous, and so Paul tells us, and I think a big example like that's important for us. Let's stop it when it starts. Let's be aware of it, and let's avoid it. This is important for us. If we're going to be people who stand for the truth, it means being on guard against the things that could lead us away. It means watching out for things that could creep in and so distort what is true. I said earlier that we come together week in and week out to re be reminded of the gospel. I think that's true. We also come together because there is protection and fellowship. Isn't that true? I think it's dangerous for any one of us to seek to know God fully and private. We need the fellowship of the saints. We need people to warn us when our filters aren't working properly. We come together, each so we can see places where we may not be thinking rightly and can help one another. Because our hearts are deceitful, and there's so many ways that error could sneak in. And so there is protection in the fellowship of the church. Paul says there's consequences to these things. There's people who have been led away, and there are, well, there are others who could be led away. And he actually gets really specific. He, he stops talking in generalities, and he points to two guys in particular as examples of this. He says in verse 17, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. You always have to pause before you say it. Say it in your head first, and then let it come out your mouth. Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. 
Paul gets specific. And I think this is good. And, and I, I'm probably guilty of this. I'm not, I don't think I'm particularly good at illustrations. And so sometimes I'm, I could speak in generality and yet never illustrate it. And so we may think, oh, that's just somewhere out there, right? And yet here as Paul speaks to them, he says, avoid these things. And let me give you an example because it's already happened among you. And he, he reminds him of people whom Timothy knows. We don't know anything about Philetus outside of this passage, but we've heard of Hymenaeus before. Back in 1 Timothy, again, in chapter 1, he tells Timothy, hold faith and a good conscience because by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I think right there, if you're thinking, I'm not sure what to get out of this sermon yet. <laughs> He's been talking for a while and I don't really have anything to hang on to yet. Maybe you would just hang on to the fact that some by rejecting faith and a good conscience have shipwrecked their faith. The truth is important. And to deviate from the truth has eternal consequences. We see this brother Hymenaeus who we would assume at one point was considered faithful among the church. And yet, somewhere along the way, he was deceived. Paul had put him out of the church. And by the time we get the second letter, we see that Hymenaeus is still doing his thing among the people of God. So we have this example. Paul wants Timothy to recognize he's talking about real people. This really happens. And then he gives us an example of the kind of thing that we should avoid. And I think this helps us to kind of get a, a filter for what he's talking about here because what we see here is that the thing that Hymenaeus and Philetus were participating in was a distortion of a central tenet of the gospel. And something that, I, I, that the Bible is really clear about that they were distorting. He says they were suggesting that the resurrection had already happened. Now, when we hear that, we recognize, yeah, kind of. Yes, Christ has been raised. And yes, all those who are in Christ have been raised. Spiritually, we have experienced resurrection. But most likely, we don't have much context. But most likely, what they were teaching was the resurrection that we have already experienced is all the resurrection that we are going to experience. Right? So it's all spiritual. And, and Paul's warning, no, there, there is a future physical resurrection. We must not deny this eternal hope. So go to 1 Corinthians 15 and see Paul probably combating the same thing where some were saying there is no resurrection from the dead. And he says, well, if there is no resurrection, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then you will not be raised. And if there is no resurrection, then we have no hope. This is a significant thing that's being distorted. And so Paul is warning them, avoid those who participate in these kinds of things. What we have here is people who are taking what is true and saying something false. And Paul wants to be clear. In the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus, they have swerved from the truth. They have missed the mark. They have gone astray. And it's not only affecting them, but they are upsetting the faith of others. Friend, if you think you see something in the scriptures that no one has ever seen, beware. 
And know that if you take that and run with it, it is not only affecting you, but it's a danger to others. Paul is going to great lengths to encourage Timothy. Stand for the truth. Steward the truth. Positively, that means remind the church of what is true and work hard to handle the word rightly. And on the other hand, it means avoid those who would distort the truth and don't give any room for those who would lead others astray. And, and those things go together, don't they? We're not going to be good at avoiding error if we're not knowing what's true. I, spent, I was really frustrated myself for years because I thought, I need to know everything about Buddhism and Hinduism and Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness. I need to know these things inside and out or I will never be an effective witness for Christ in this world. And I think there's value to those things, so it's not wasted. And yet the best thing we can do is know the truth, right? And if we know the truth well, then we'll be equipped to spot error when it comes. And so take this encouragement. This sermon doesn't have to be a charge to go into know every heresy, but rather it should drive us back to the scriptures, to know his word and to know it well, to do our best to present ourselves as those approved by God, workers who are not ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I think that means that we should be people who read the Bible privately, who study the Bible privately. It means we should be people who come together eagerly to hear God's word proclaimed. Paul is a pastor. I think Paul has pastoral sensibilities. I think Paul recognized, and I'm, I'm just kind of trying to get into this here, but I think Paul recognized that by saying all this and by warning that some are being led astray and some faith is being upset and that understand it rightly and if you don't, that some may get uneasy. Maybe our faith is not stable. Maybe my faith is not stable. Maybe it could all crash and burn. Maybe I could be led away. I think Paul's pastoral sensibilities lead him to writing verse 19. This reminder that the faith is stable and sure, and our salvation is stable and sure. He says, in, re in response to all this, avoid this and watch out for that, he says, but God's firm foundation stands. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Isn't that a great assurance? We could get really deep into verses 14 to 18 and start thinking, man, it's just really ambiguous. It's uncertain. It's unstable. What's true? What's not true? Who's his? Who's not his? And then Paul just cuts through all that and gives this incredible gospel reminder to the church. God's firm foundation stands, which I think means the gates of hell will never prevail against it. It's firm. It's stable. And he gives us this assurance. The Lord knows those who are his. It's a quote from Numbers chapter 16, and I won't try to flesh all that out, but it's a story of a man named Korah who rose up against Moses. You're doing it. Well, I'm not, just real quick. Um, 
rose up against Moses and said, he's angry because they're in the wilderness and accuses Moses of bad leadership and of defying God. And Moses' response is essentially, the Lord knows who are his and the Lord will honor those who obey. And if, if we read verses 14 through 19 or 18 and we get this confusion of, have I believed the truth? Have I not believed the truth? Am I in or am I out? What if I'm led astray? What if I'm deceived? And just this gospel confidence, the Lord knows who it is. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And they know me and I know them. As we strive to stand for the truth, we can do it with confidence. The foundation is firm and sure. We are his people and he will keep us. And then secondly, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity, which I think is a reminder of the fact, I think it's a, a continuation of this gospel proclamation that those who are his will obey him. It's, if the first half of the verse is about our eternal security, the second part of the verse is about the guarantee of our perseverance. Those who know the Lord depart from iniquity. Those who are his will obey him. Those who are truly his will continue in the faith. All who name the name of the Lord will depart from iniquity. It's both an assurance and a call to obedience. God knows those who are his, and all who are his will continue in the faith. And so Paul, as a good pastor, ends this call to defend and to stand against the truth with gospel assurance. I'm rewriting my conclusion in my head right now thinking that I would love just to end with that assurance of the gospel, right? We are God's people, and we've been given his truth. What an incredible grace. I'm glad we've spent our time here today. I'm glad for the reminder that we are secure in him, that we have God's word. We come together to hear from him, and my hope would be that we would recommit ourselves today to being a church who works hard to handle the word of truth rightly, not for the approval of any man, but for the approval of God alone. And that through our understanding and applying the truth, we would continue to grow in him and bring others to know him, and by his grace, perhaps rescue some who otherwise would be carried away by a false gospel. It's not about being right. It's about being God's people with his word doing his work. So whether we remain at Southern Hills or join our brothers and sisters at faith, let us strive together for the truth. Let's pray.